Welcome to the 34 Circe Salon. We journey from the ancient world to the cosmos. Take the adventure, Take with, the adventure us. with us. With us. With us. With us. With us. With us. And welcome, everyone, to the 34 Circe Salon. This is the Parallax Channel, and I am Sean Marlon Newcomb. Today, we are doing Classical Studies 101. We're doing the Odyssey. It's Chapter 20. We're near to the end, so it's getting exciting. Uh, before we get going, if you would be so kind as to leave a nice rating or a nice comment on whatever podcast platform you're using to listen to this, we'd really appreciate it. And now, without further ado, let us welcome the one, the only, Dr. Gary Stickle. Welcome, Gary. Hi. The glad, glad to be Montes. back. Yes, good to have you back. So... We are up to Chapter 20, Gary, so why don't you give us just a brief review of Chapter 19 and then jump right in to Chapter 20 and guide us along. Okay, like I keep saying, I'm using the um, Robert Fagel's translation of the Odyssey. And <clears throat> Chapter 19, he entitled Penelope and her guest, and it was about how Odysseus um, returned to his palace, but he was disguised as a beggar. Uh, an old beggar man by uh, his patron goddess, Athena. And um, she's the goddess of wisdom and uh, defensive war. And um, so it's basically about them interacting, but she still doesn't realize who he is. And right, so, so at one point, mm -hmm. at one point she tells him it's pretty lyrical it's toward the end of the chapter. Um, and uh, and I'll just uh, relate it in the way I did it in a, a poem. I did a 35-page um, poem for older children on the Odyssey. But it, it, this is, in essence, what she says. And she says to him, uh, and she's talking to Odysseus, and she says, friend, there are two doorways of dreams. Some cause smiles, some cause screams. Dreams that pass through the ivory door bear no fruit for sooth. Those that pass through the horn-made door are fraught with truth. I had a dream last night, so tell me, old man, did it give me the truth, revealing some divine plan? I dreamed of my 20 geese, and I loved to see them all. But from a mountain, I saw a great hooked-beaked eagle fall. He swooped and snapped their necks, killing them one and all. And then he piled them up in heaps throughout my palace hall. And then Odysseus replies, Lady, a dream such as yours only a god can send. Doom and death to the suitors it does portend. So in other words, the chapter is about... Uh, leading up to uh, Odysseus taking back his palace and killing all the suitors that have invaded his palace. 
And again, for the to just give the listeners some bearing, that was the dream that uh, his wife Penelope has. Penelope doesn't recognize him, and she's wondering if it's an omen, and he conveys that it is, and essentially an omen of, like you say, that he will have his revenge and have his palace back. And then she talks about um, the, the next uh, contest she's going to have to uh, hold off the suitors, hopefully. And so she tells Odysseus, um, quote, I mean to announce a contest with the axes. And she means the axes that Odysseus had. The ones he, meaning Odysseus, would often line up here inside the hall. Twelve in a straight unbroken row like blocks to shore a keel. And then she says, now I will bring them on as a trial for my suitors. The hand that can string the bow, meaning the great bow of Odysseus, with the greatest ease, that shoots an arrow clean through all twelve axes, that man I will follow, forsaking his house. So, in other words, and then Odysseus responds, Oh, my queen, Odysseus, man of exploits, urge her on. Don't put off this test in the halls of moment. For before that crew can handle the polished bow, Odysseus, man of exploits, will be home with you. So that's how that chapter ends. Okay, so it ends with that portent, and now we are in chapter 20. So take us along. So uh, it ends with a portent, and that's the title of uh, that Fagels gave the next chapter 20. He calls it Portents Gather. So again, all this is building up to the climatic scene, you know, where he uh, takes back the, his palace by killing all the suitors. So it starts off like this. Off in the entrance hall, the great king made his bed, spreading on the ground the raw hide of an ox, heaping it over with a fleece, and so on. There Odysseus lay, plotting within himself the suitor's death. And then as he's doing it, he's watching the maids who hoard the suitor's beds each night. So some of the palace servant girls um, went over to the suitors. And, of course, Odysseus uh, is disgusted with this, you know. Um the maids who hoard in the suitors' beds each night, tittering, linking arms, and frisking as before. The master's anger rose inside his chest. It's okay. a very that's a very um, incendiary image because when you think about it, the kinds of things that set traditional patriarchal societies or most societies with guys in it uh, on edge is the idea of the the these invaders taking the women folk and then having them in their arms. So you can see how in particularly in Homer's time, that would have been something that would have set uh, Odysseus aflame. You know, the idea that not only had they betrayed him, but they betrayed him into the arms of his enemies. Exactly. And, and they're also betraying his wife and queen Penelope. They're supposed to absolutely follow her directions and, you know, and be loyal to her. And um, 
And this, this reminds me of the war in Ukraine because the Russians have invaded Ukraine and they have been raping uh, you know, women in Ukraine and, and you know, conducting many other uh, atrocities. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the, the Odyssey is talking about invaders, you know, as being vile and worthy of dying, by the way. So, okay. anyhow, um, so this this is barring Odysseus in terms of him trying to sleep. And he's trying to, you know, he's thinking about the, quote, shameless suitors in his clutches. He wants to get them in his clutches. And then close to his size comes Athena, sweeping down from the sky in a woman, woman's belt and hovering over his head. The goddess spoke. Why still awake, unluckiest man alive, here in your house, your wife at home, your son, as fine a boy as one could hope to have? And Odysseus replies, true, how right you are, goddess, but still this worry haunts me, heart and soul. How can I get these shameless suitors in my clutches? So in other words, he's, he, he wants to know how he can take back his palace. Yeah, it's a very common, I mean, we're all used to sending prayers up to God, in this case, the in the Greek pantheon, the goddess, and saying, you know, help me, help me find a way out of my plight, out of my predicament. Yes. And so this is a, you know, something, again, this is what's so great about Homer and about all these, these ancient Greek tales is that we, they resonate very directly with us. We still feel the same sorts of things these characters feel all these thousands of years later. We're all human. And so she um, basically kind of berates him and tells him, you know, he's got her help. He can't lose. You know, that kind of idea, okay? So she says, impossible man. Athena bantered. The goddess's eyes ablaze. And she says, others are quick to trust a weaker comrade. Some poor mortal. Far less cunning than I. But I am a goddess. Look, the very one that guards you in all your trials to the last. I tell you this straight out. Even if 50 bands of mortal fighters closed around us, hot to kill us off in battle, still you can drive away them, and so on. So she's telling, so surrender to sleep at last. You'll soon come up from under all your troubles. Again, another, uh, mm-hmm. sorry, go ahead. With that, she showered sleep across his eyes and back to Olympus went the lustrous goddess. It's a very common, you know, you and I were talking about, you know, being able to try to get to sleep and falling to sleep. And I know a lot of other people talk to me about their sleep issues. And it's it's a very, again, a very common, a very human predicament. He can't sleep because he's thinking about, will he get his revenge? Will this be righted for him? And there she says to him, I got you, basically. You're going to get what you want. You're going to get your revenge. So rest easily. Uh, And, uh, you know, it's a a very touching, in a sense, uh, kind of moment, uh, scene. Yeah, you know, just like you have trouble sleeping, I had trouble sleeping last night. You know, it's uh, we can all relate. 
So. Yeah, it's funny. It's, it's something common in the modern era, I think, because we're all in our homes and we've got these devices and lights and TVs and iPads and phones. And it just they tend to keep us awake through the day and keep us, you know, going. Uh, obviously different in the Greek era. Uh, his is much more about that anxiety. But we get that as well. We all worry about in this world uh, our job security, our food security, our financial security. And for Odysseus, it's his palace and his wife and his reputation and everything that he uh, he fought for, you know, going off to war. Yes. And so, um, and then it switches to Penelope and her bed. And, uh, and so Homer says, his devoted wife awoke and seen in her soft bed returned to tears. When the queen had wept to her heart's content, she prayed to the huntress Artemis, the goddess Artemis. First of all, and she says, Artemis, goddess, noble daughter of Zeus. Sorry, I went to give the delayed Artemis cheer. We always okay. cheer Artemis here. So um, she says, uh, Artemis, goddess, noble daughter of Zeus, if only you'd whip an arrow through my breast and tear my life out. Now at once, or let me, or let some whirlwind pluck me up and sweep me away. But anyhow, um, so she's pleading to Artemis, and is that Gary for that era for a woman of her station and standing? Would that have been the norm? To that would have been the goddess that we'd turn to for us. For the listener, you know, Artemis is special to us for lots of different reasons. Uh, yeah. She is the matron of the Amazons, and that's one of the reasons we love her. But is, would that have been a common goddess to turn to? Well. I mean, for a, a, a noble woman, let's say, or for that particular predicament. Um, I, I think quite probably. I'm, I'm not certain, but, mm-hmm. you know. Okay. So, um, so anyhow, uh, you know, uh, it's, so she's still talking. He says, uh, may the gods who rule Olympus blot me out. Artemis, with your glossy braids, come shoot me dead so I can plunge beneath this loathsome earth with the image of Odysseus vivid in my mind. Never let me warm the heart of a weaker man. So anyhow, uh, it's it's another interesting, very patriarchal kind of phrase. I mean, she wants the strongest you know, or, you know, Odysseus being the strong king, and she doesn't want to be with one of the weak suitors. So it's um, warm the heart of a weaker man is a very uh, interesting, a very uh, poetic, of course, turn of phrase. And then it goes on to say, um, <clears throat> and great Odysseus caught the sound of his wife's cry and began to daydream. And he prayed to Zeus. He says, Father Zeus, if you really willed it so, to bring me home over land and sea lanes, home to native ground, after all the pain you brought me, show me a sign, a good omen voiced by someone awake indoors, another sign outside from Zeus himself. And Zeus in all his wisdom heard his prayer. He thundered at once. Out of the clear blue heavens, high above the clouds, an Odysseus spirit lifted. So in other words, he, he got the uh, omen he wanted. 
again, this is chapter is very much, I mean, I think for people of faith, I think it's a very interesting chapter to hear because it is the same kinds of plaintive faith calling that we do in our culture. We do it, you know, for most of us in within a Christian framework or Abrahamic religion framework, Judaism, Islam. Um, but there's a lot, obviously, a lot of different um, religions, whether Buddhism or Hinduism. But we all f- reach for that, reach out to that greater power and, and ask, you know, help us or, or show me that, you know, it's going to be okay. It's again, we're like, it's like being a child. We want to know, you want to hear from your parents, it's going to be all right. Um, yeah. It's so natural. It's so human. And it's really vivid and really touching to hear. Yeah. So anyhow, um, it goes on to talk about um, the 12 women are grinding wheat and barley. Again, the sacred number 12. And uh, so, she, you know, Penelope uh, walks by them and stopping by her, she uh, spoke an omen for her master. So she's saying, Zeus, Father Zeus, king of the gods. Now there was a crack of thunder out of the starry sky and not a cloud in sight. Sure, it's a sign. So she's, uh, you know, uh, noting that. And, um, and then uh, it has Telemachus waking up and coming from his bed. He puts on his uh, rawhide sandals and, and takes his spear. Uh, and he talks to Eurycleia, the loyal nursemaid of Odysseus. And uh, so he, you know, he knows Odysseus is his father. He knows the skies by now, you know. And um, so anyhow, it says Telemachus strode out of the palace with a pair of sleek hounds and made for the meeting grounds and so on. While Eurycleia uh, gave the maids her orders and so on. Quick now, look alive, she says, sweep out the house and let down the floors, blah, blah, blah. You know, and um, so anyhow, they they prepare a meal for the uh, suitors. Three three pigs, three being another sacred number, and so on. Uh, and then she just says, you know, do this for the suitors who treat you like the dregs of the earth as always, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, it goes back to the... Um, mistreatment of uh, Odysseus. And there's a goat herd, uh, Melanthius, who uh, goes towards him. And he sees Odysseus on the porch, on the echoing porch, as it, Homer you know, explains it. And he says, still alive, still hounding her betters, begging around the house. Why don't you cart yourself away? Get out. He says, we'll never part, I swear, till we taste each other's fists, riffraff. Remember, he's the one who had to fight with them, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, no reply. The wily one just shook his head, silent, his mind churning with thoughts of bloody work. But then there was a, another suitor, that, I mean, a suitor that comes. His name is Philodius. He's not a suitor, excuse me. He's a cowherd, and he's loyal to Odysseus. And um, 
he asked Eumaeus, he said, who's this stranger and so on. And uh, Eumaeus informs him. And then he goes up to him. He says, with that thought, he walked up to Odysseus, gave him his right hand and winged out a green. Cheers, old friend, old father. Here's to your luck. So in other words, he's being kind to him. And that's a running theme is being kind to, you know, beggars and homeless, that sort of thing, which I think is, again, relatable to the present day. Exactly. Again, it's about showing that sort of, for our faith and our culture, that you be kind to the poor, that you look down the meek that shall inherit the earth. So, And then he, uh, he goes on to say, my heart aches for Odysseus, great lord and master. And he said, uh, if only he'd drop from the blue and drive these suitors all in the route throughout the halls. And then, uh, but, you know, he's talking to Odysseus, and Odysseus says, cowherd, you're no coward and nobody's fool, I'd say. Even I can see there's sense in that old head of yours. So I tell you this by my solemn binding oath. I swear by Zeus, the first of all the gods, Odysseus will be home, you know. Mm -hmm. And these suitors who lord over here will be cut down in blood. So you know, he's pretending what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And um, and then meanwhile, as they're speaking to each other, once more the suitors are plotting certain doom for the young prince, meaning Telemachus. Suddenly, banking high on the left, an omen flew past an eagle clutching a trembling dove. And Amphimenus rose in haste to warn them all. My friends, we'll never carry off this plot and kill the prince. Let's concentrate on feasting. So the suitors ambled into Odysseus' royal house, flinging, them down, flinging themselves down on cloaks and on benches and chairs, ordering bowls of wine and loaves of bread and so on. Um, and Telemachus berates him again. And he says, this is Odysseus's house. My father wanted for me, so it's mine. You suitors control yourselves. No insults now. No brawling. No, it's war between us all. So he declared, and they all bit their lips, amazed the prince could speak with such daring. Only Eupetheus, his son, Antinous ventured. Antinous was the leader of the suitors. And he berates uh, Telemachus, and he says, fighting words? But do let's knuckle under into our prince. Such abuse, such naked threats. But clearly Zeus has spoiled us, or long before he would have shut his mouth for him in his halls, fluent and flowing as he is. So Antinous mocked. But Telemachus paid no heed. And... Um, then they noted the heralds passed and uh, to sacrifice on Apollo's uh, grand feastal day. So it was a day of feasting for Apollo, the god Apollo. Mm -hmm. And uh, so anyhow, um, uh, and so uh, again, one of the suitors, uh, Satipas, grabs an ox hoof out of a basket and he flungs it at Odysseus. Odysseus ducked 
dodging the blow. He clenched his teeth. And then Telemachus dressed his uh, Satipus down at once. Satipus, you can thank your lucky stars you missed our guest. He ducked your blow by God, else I would have planted my sharp spear in your bowels. Your father would have been busy with your funeral, not your wedding here. And then uh, you know, it talks about the men dragging and ser- serving women through the house, exploiting them all. You know, in other words, you know, raping them and having sex and blah blah blah. You know? mm-hmm. um, and uh, so anyhow, and then they tell basically Telemachus to, uh, you know, shut up and you know, uh, leave him alone. Which would, of course, infuriate Odysseus. Yeah, and then they, um, and then they start laughing at him and stuff like that. And then there's a seer, you know, like a prophet. His name mm-hmm. is uh, Theoclymenus, and he warns out of their midst, "Poor men, what terror is is this that overwhelms you so? Night shrouds your heads because they're having a uh, an eclipse." on this day that this just takes back and so he says the sun is blotted out of the sky look there a lethal mist spreads across the earth at that they all broke into peals of laughter aimed at the seer well you know he's trying to tell them that it's pretending their mm-hmm. disaster you know mm-hmm. uh, and he says oh I can see it now the disaster closing on all on you all there's no escaping it no way out not for a single one of you suitors, you reckless fools. The house of the halls of a dish is great and strong as a god. With that, he marched out of the sturdy house and went home to Piraeus. Now all the suitors, trading their snide glances, started heckling Telemachus. And, and they say to him, uh, Telemachus, no one's more unlucky than more unlucky with your guest, with his guest. Look what your man dragged in, that magey tramp, scraping for bread and wine, not fit for good hard work. What a bag of bones, a useless dead weight on the land. And then this charlatan up and apes the prophet. Send him back on a slave ship. Pack him off to Sicily. So they jeered. But the prince paid no attention. His eyes riveted on his father, always waiting for the moment. So he's waiting for the moment to attack. Yeah, you can see the tension building. These guys are, they're getting both Telemachus and Odysseus worked up. I mean, just ticking them off. And it's just, yeah, it's a, it's a great image of the son looking into the father's eyes. You know, is this the moment? Is this the moment? You know, and of course the father saying, you know, keep your powder dry, hold fire. Right. So, yeah. And all the while, Icarus's daughter, wise Penelope, had placed her carved chair within earshot at the door so she can catch each word they uttered in the hall. Laughing rowdily, men prepared their noonday meal. Succulent rich, they butchered quite a herd. But for supper, what could be less enticing 
than what a goddess and a powerful man would spread before them soon, a groaning feast. For they've been first to plot their vicious crimes. And that's the way the chapter ends. Wow, that's really... That's a great ending. It's really, you know, it's Homer's really tightening the screws, you know? He's yeah. really building the tension. This is really... You know, I'm excited to see the next chapter, the next chapter, the next chapter. Um, so this has been great. So let's give a big round of applause to our guide, Dr. Gary Stickle. Thank you, Gary. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. Uh, this has been the 34 Circe Salon, the Parallax Channel, Classical Studies 101, the Odyssey Chapter 20. My name is Sean Marlon Newcomb. Thank you for listening and God bless.